This is episode number 157 of the Rising Man podcast with Lee Hopkins. Shame is purgatory. Shame is a pit stop on the way to solutions. Welcome back, Rising Man family. Thank you for joining me today. Jetty Azuma here behind the mic once again, hosting this show. Thanking you for being here. So grateful to have our growing community of Rising Man supporters across the world. I'm just going to take a moment to share something with you guys. If you've been listening to the last couple episodes, you might have heard me mention about our latest offering that's coming out right now. We had Ignite come out at the end of the year, which you should definitely go check out, risingman.org slash Ignite. But this is the first offering that I've got putting out there strictly for fathers. And it's so important. It's so critical that we've got support out there as dads. In my bigger mission to initiate a whole generation of men into leadership and purpose, it's required that we have strong leadership from the guys who are fathers right now. We don't have any time to waste. We got to be able to step up and be the dads, be the leaders in our families and for our children that they need us to be. And so I created this community. It's a content-based community where I'm giving you guys who sign up exclusive access to videos and content geared strictly towards fatherhood, how to be a better dad, how to take better care of yourself, how to have a better relationship with your partner, all while doing the dad thing. Because I, for one, know how difficult that can be. I know how challenging it is to be a dad in the world right now. So I'll make sure we put a link to Rising Fathers in the show description here so you can go and get yourself signed up. It's only 25 bucks a month. You get access to all this exclusive content and we do a call once a month to support you and the rest of the men who are in the community. You also get to be a part of a community of fathers from all over the world. So no more excuses not to have resources, not to have support, not to have a space to go and talk about how challenging it is to be a dad. We got you. So go ahead and check that out today. I want to see as many of you dads out there, anybody who's a dad who's listening to this, this is a no brainer. So I want to see you in there. Go ahead, get yourself signed up. All right, my guest for today is Lee Hopkins. He's a thought leader, podcaster, and transformational coach. He's best known for his work in promoting social emotional wellness. After moving across the country and back, he found himself in the same dysfunctional circle of friends and in the same chaotic romantic relationships he left behind. Does that sound familiar to any of you guys? Eventually, he realized that he did not need a change of scenery, he needed a change of mindset. And ever since, he's been helping others come to the same realization. In this episode, Lee and I broke down the root of shame and where men tend to get stuck. Such an important topic, guys. We talked about the importance of instilling strong decision-making and critical thinking in boys from a young age to set them up for harder decisions as adults, and also where this plays into the shame cycle. Lee and I shared about sexual shaming and the impact that can have on us as men. Have you taken an inventory of all the things you feel shameful for? We talked about how many of us have shame and guilt we're carrying around without knowing it and acknowledging the impact it's having on us. We talked about unworthiness and low self-esteem amongst men, a huge topic in the world right now. We talked about where this comes from and why a lack of traditional roles for men is a major source of pain for the modern man. Lastly, we broke down authority and how we can be giving our power away to parents, partners, and others unconsciously. This and so much more, but without further ado, Lee Hopkins. All right, Rising Man family, I got another brother joining me from 
originally out from in the Midwest. You're out in Chicago, right? Chi-Town? Yeah, I'm in Chicago. That's it. That's it. Mr. Lee Hopkins. How are you today, bro? Hey, what's going on? I'm good. I'm good. Glad to be here. Heck yeah, man. Well, I'm really excited to talk about this topic. We decided we were going to start off talking about shame. I actually had somebody reach out to me just this week and said, hey, Jetty, I love listening to the podcast, blah, 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 blah. I haven't heard you talk specifically about shame. And it's something I'm really dealing with. So I presented that to you and we decided that was something we could jam on. So looking forward to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah, definitely. I'm ready to share. I mean, who hasn't Who hasn't felt shame? Yeah, we all got experience with that, right? So let's start off with the question I ask everybody. And that's what's the difference between a boy and a man? Wow. Well, a boy, I believe that they're really unable to control their feelings. They act on them immediately. And a man will take a moment to think about these feelings that they're having before they make an action. Okay. I like that you brought feelings as part of this this differentiation between a boy and a man. So being a man is not the absence of feelings, correct? Correct. Absolutely. And this is a common misconception. We all have feelings. Everyone has feelings. And because men have been taught to push them down or taught that they don't have any, then we get men who just have so many issues with controlling their actions because they don't even think about it. They don't know why. They just act on impulse. And the truth is, is that our emotions drive our actions. They drive our actions. So if you're not, you're not aware of your emotions, you're just going around in the world doing all kinds of crazy stuff, not even paying attention. Right. Reacting, not responding to what's showing up. And one of the things I always appreciated, you know, a lot of times on the show, we make a distinction between man and woman, male, female, masculine, feminine, because of the importance of differentiating between those terms. And I know a lot of, if we just talk about the masculine for a second, if we're assuming that lots of men generally show up in their masculine predominantly, we know we all have masculine and feminine qualities, but I think of the masculine as that container that holds all of the feminine, that makes room and space for the feminine to flow. And obviously men and women experience feelings and emotions, but to me, I attribute emotions to be more in the feminine, not that the masculine or men can't experience them, but when I'm in my masculine, I'm not letting my emotions or my feelings drive the bus. I'm not letting that my emotions or feelings dictate what I do. To me, that's more of a reactive, emotional driven way of being in the world. Whereas on the counter side of it, that's, you know, some people are driven by their emotions and let that lead the way. So what do you find with that? Absolutely. I mean, Emotions are a very powerful tool. It doesn't have to be that you're reacting with them all the time, but you can use that rage or that feeling that you have and wield it and put it into something. Like if you are going to do something with, I don't know, boxing or if you're an MMA fighter, you know, you go in the ring and you have all this energy that's masculine. You have it and you wield it, you use it. But you don't go around throwing fists. You have a technique to it. You control it. You know what you're doing with it. So emotion is powerful tool to use. It's not something that should rule you. And I really like what you said about that. Yeah. Yeah. So let's use that as a pivot into this conversation about shame. First of all, is shame an emotion? Would you say that that falls into the category of feelings and emotions? Wow. That's a good question. You know, I think, yeah, I would put shame as some kind of emotion because we definitely have our feelings react to it. We react to the shame that we have. So yeah, I would say that's there. Okay. So what would your operating definition of shame be? Wow. Shame. It's like embarrassment. It's like embarrassment that's pointed inward. So you're just having all kinds of feelings about what you did or just feeling a bunch of shame about something that happened. And it's all internal. Nobody's telling you 
to, or people may tell you, but you're just feeling it yourself. So it comes from within. You just keep holding it within and you keep reinforcing it too. Your mind will just keep going, oh, this is shameful. That's bad. You're awful. You did a terrible thing. And it just piles on. It's pretty heavy emotion. It's heavy, man. It's definitely heavy. And have you read Brene Brown? Have you read any of her stuff? I've seen her speeches. Yeah, she's really good. Because she makes a distinction between guilt and shame. I believe it came from Brene Brown. Maybe I'm misquoting here, but I believe it was her. And the distinction is, is that guilt is the violation of an agreement that I have with someone or something else. So for example, if I broke a commitment to my wife, right? Let's say I cheated on my wife. The experience I have of feeling bad about that broken agreement is guilt. Whereas if I break a commitment or an agreement with myself, or I don't show up a way that I wanted to, or I feel bad about something that I said, that's shame. That's that internal inward focused sense of what guilt would be when we look at it outward. So guilt is outward agreements we have with other people and shame is inward. It's how I feel about myself. Does that fit along the lines of what, how you see it? Yeah, that absolutely fits. It makes sense because, you know, even in the courtrooms, they don't say shameful, shameful. It's guilty. You're guilty. So it's a contract that you've broken with other people. So I definitely subscribe to that. But I do remember when I was a kid, the adults saying, shame on you, shame on you. That's, it's kind of interesting when you really break this stuff down, right? I mean, I think that language is so important. And the fact that we say shame on you, like I'm, I'm bestowing you with shame or even I think even woven into that is you should feel ashamed of what you did. It's so aggressive. Agreed. It is terribly aggressive. And we definitely hear that when we're kids because we're being programmed. We're getting all the information and knowledge of the world from our parents or from our caretakers. We're looking to them for information. And if they tell us, hey, you need to feel shame because we don't want you to do this. That's what basically what they're saying is like, we're going to program you so that you don't do this. So you don't like this feeling of shame. We're going to make sure that you know what it feels like. Here's some shame. Shame on you. Don't do that. Don't do that. And then when you grow up, it just spirals out of control. Oh, I'm not supposed to do that, but I don't know what to do. Oh, I feel shame. And then and then it just creates a conflict because we grow up, we get our own thoughts, we get our own feelings, we have our own experiences in the world. And when we look at what our parents taught us or what we picked up when we were younger, shame, but I don't know, this, should I feel shame? I don't see the bad consequences of this. And you get all confused about it. Shame is a really tricky thing. Mm. So let's really pick this apart because... First of all, I don't like painting too many broad strokes, but I do believe that boys have a uniquely different experience of shame than girls do. Obviously, you know, we could take it on a case by case basis, but generally speaking, I see boys experience shame a lot more. Do you think there's any reason for, I mean, first of all, do you agree with that? And second of all, if you do, do you think there's a specific reason for that? Hmm. Uh, that's a really tough question, man. Though, as far as feeling shame a lot more, I don't know. Or maybe being shamed. I feel like shame is a conversation. Maybe it's just because I grew up as a boy. So I felt like, and I grew up around a lot of my friends who were boys. So I just don't see, I know that there is shaming that's done towards girls. A lot of time it's around what they wear and how they present themselves. I feel like with boys, it has a lot more to do with our actions and how we behave and how we conduct ourselves. Yeah, man. I know, like I'm thinking about my childhood and, and back with my experiences to draw from Drawson. And it, I just, I think that I had a lot of leeway to do a lot of things that I wanted. And I also didn't grow up around a lot of men, you know, single parent household. So there weren't a lot of men in my community. So we just kind of did what we wanted, essentially. We just kind of grew up ourselves or mimicked the people that we saw on TV. There was no one really to tell us, like, shame on you. This is what a man does. Shame on you. That's how a man acts. 
Okay. Let's zero in on that for a second. So in the absence of a strong disciplinarian in your life, that's what I'm hearing. What was your experience of shame then? When did shame come up? Oh, well, shame was something that happened within the church. I would say the church and some, my mom was kind of religious. And so she would say, you know, hey, don't do this or don't do that. And don't be yourself, essentially. Don't be yourself. So maybe I'm not seeing the shame as something that was purposely directed towards me, but it's something that did happen. And I just wasn't paying attention because I'm thinking about my past and if I've ever heard the words shame on you. And that's not something that I've heard. It's more like you shouldn't do this or this is what the Bible says. And I believe that was equally spread between me and my siblings. So it was like, yeah. And so growing up, going out to the world, like I grew up in a small town. And so when I went to college, had this experience of seeing all these people breaking all the rules, doing all the things I shouldn't do. And I'm like, what? I want to do those things. But I shouldn't do them. Oh my God, I shouldn't do those things. And that's where a lot of the conflict came for me. It's like, oh, this is fun. This is interesting. I'm curious about it, but I'm not supposed to be. Right. Well, and I think that that's, that's really the function of it that I can remember from my childhood. When I think about my, my grandparents or my parents or other authoritative figures in my life, when shame was brought into the picture, anything that felt like that, it seems like it was an effort to shape a moral compass for me. It seemed like it was an effort to shape my decision-making, telling me, giving me a sense of what's right and what's wrong, instilling a value system. And I guess this is the bigger truth, right? This is the deeper discovery I'm looking at right now is, I mean, I have two children myself. Do you have children? No, I don't have any kids. Okay. So, well, whether you have kids or not, you start to recognize as you get older that one of the most important things that we get to do for younger people is to instill values in them. And they get that a lot of different ways. They get that by modeling. They see how we live our, that's probably the most important, actually. It's not really what you say, it's what you do, right? So they watch what we do as adults, whether we're parents or aunties or uncles, et cetera. And then it's reinforced by what we say. You should do this, you should not do that. And I feel like when we're talking about shame and it's an extreme expression of that value shaping effort, trying to instill that code in young people the problem is, and this is, I'd like to hear your opinion on this, is I think we don't leave enough room for young people to decide for themselves. Yes, that is it right there. That is it. That's the source of it. Trying to instill our own values in the younger person, trying to create another version of us or our parents would try to create another version of us. So we can do that with our own value system. And for some reason, it seems like it's really difficult to allow people to make their own decisions because they're young. Like, what do you think about this? You're too young to, to understand decision-making. Well, if you teach them that's a value, it will be. And they can decide whether they want to feel shame. I mean, you don't have to use shame. They can decide, they can make their own decisions and they can make more objective decisions instead of ones rooted in fear and shame. So, yeah. Well, and here's the interesting thing. So let's dive into some specific examples. I think one of the things that is most commonly shrouded in shame for children, boys and girls, is exploring their sexuality. There's no more natural thing than a child going into puberty, starting to, even before puberty, exploring their sexual organs and different sensations that occur for that part of their anatomy. And I'm trying to think about my experience. I don't ever remember my parents, either one of them, shutting down my exploration of that. I think it was probably because I did all of my stuff in very privately. But there was this air of 
that's not really appropriate. That's not okay to do. And I know I've heard plenty of stories of other friends that, that I have who were ashamed out of it, that they got caught masturbating or touching themselves or whatever you fill in the blank. And there was shame thrown on it in a way that I think it's what it really comes down to is the, in that situation, the adults were so uncomfortable with what was happening. They threw shame or whatever they needed to add it to really discourage the behavior versus curiosity and understanding and, and helping that young person make a choice about it instead of putting fear on it. Cause fear is so closely linked to the shame conversation too. Yeah, absolutely. What I think about my childhood and my experiences, man, I feel like I'm having an epiphany here. I'm learning about my own shame and how I just wasn't aware of it. And now I've just become aware of it because as you share that, I'm thinking I really didn't do too much. Like I masturbated and I would do whatever in private, like you said, just alone, but I didn't talk to anyone about it. And I also didn't I actually have sex for the first time until I was 20, 20 years old. So I was like, well, this is bad. All of it. All of it's bad. Don't do any of it. And it really messed me up for a couple of years just because I went to college and I, I explored. And like, well, I looked at somebody. I saw somebody really attractive walk by. And I turned my head and I'm like, oh, you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> oh, my God. And then I had to work through that. So and just the reprogramming, the dumping out the information, deciding whether I want to, what I wanted to do and how I really felt about it. And so, like we said, shame is a real feeling. And when you are able to slow down and realize that this is shame, you don't have to react on it. You can make a decision. So that's what took me out of it. I, I saw somebody attractive walk by and it wasn't for years until I was able to say, oh, this is shame. This is that feeling. Do I want to let it stop me from doing what I want to do? No, I'm going to go have fun because, yeah. yeah. Man, that's such a good example of how effective that can be. That mode of raising a young person to get so drilled into the back of their head that when you're walking by someone that's attractive, you look the other way. That's, I mean, essentially that's accomplishing what whoever it was that instilled that idea in your head was set out to do. They, they wanted you to avoid your attractions because of what they were afraid might happen if you actually allowed yourself to pursue them. It's so interesting because now we fast forward, right? We talked a lot about childhood and the way that shame is brought upon us as boys and how that affects us as we get older. I think that the first step is really recognizing that the voices that we have in our head are not actually our own. They're not actually our voices. I think there's there's all these beliefs and it, it happens with all kinds of other values too. One of the things my dad instilled in me from a young age was to always put your family first. That was like one of the things he's always said. He said, hey, no matter what, your family's got to come first. No matter what, your family's got to come first. And while that's a value that I hold right now, it wasn't until I challenged that value and said, well, what happens if I don't put my family first? How do I feel if I don't prioritize my family, if I prioritize something else so that I could come back to it and decide for myself? Because up to that point, it was just my dad's voice in my head. And every time I didn't put my family first, I felt shame and I felt like I deserved to be punished or reprimanded because that's not the way I was, quote unquote, supposed to behave. It wasn't until I made that decision for myself that that is actually important to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely... It sounds like there was another person in your head controlling you. But, and it's so much more powerful when you're able to make your own decisions. You're able to decide, hey, this is what is value. This is my own value. And I hold it dear because it's like the same as um, 
just working. You work for a living, you know the value of what you get, but if something's just given to you, it's kind of like, oh, well, I can get more of this or, or what, you don't value it as much. But when you decide, just like you did, you decide that, hey, this is what I want to do. This is my value. I'm going to take ownership of it. Then it becomes more powerful for you. Yeah. It's really interesting when you start taking an inventory of all the things that you feel bad for. Because I think shame kind of goes along the lines with feeling bad about something or feeling, I guess, guilty kind of runs in there. I remember when I was in school, I used to feel guilty or bad when I got a better for being smart. I was really good in school and I had some friends who had a harder time with test taking and all this stuff. I wouldn't study as hard and I would do better on some tests than them. And, And I felt bad about that. You know, I felt bad because I thought to myself, oh man, this isn't fair. That's not justified. And it's interesting how much of a case we build up on ourselves because of, I think all these past, because there's really, there's no one who ever told me you should feel bad for doing better than someone else. There's nobody who said that outrightly to me, but that's why it's so detrimental if we give a message to a kid that could be misinterpreted. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's very interesting that you brought that up because you know, I've had the same kind of experience in school. And I just felt like, well, I shouldn't show anybody that I've gotten good grades because it's a bad thing. And I don't quite know why it was bad. It was just, it felt like if we weren't equal, there was something wrong. And yeah, and it's, it must've been some kind of value that was instilled in me that I didn't, didn't even notice. But that shame just appears anywhere when we're feeling uncomfortable and, and fearful. To go back to the the family values, I just wanted to tell a story about how I grew up with the same values of families first, families first. And so I was the first one in my family to go to college or go away to college. And I was pretty successful with that. I moved away, moved away to California. And on my way out from Ohio to California, all the time I spent in college and and in California, I was sending money home. I was just, you know, because I had a little more. I don't have uh, any kids, so I don't have a family to take care of. So I'm just going to send money, just going to keep sending money. And meanwhile, I'm getting myself into debt. I'm getting myself into debt, but family first. And shame on me for trying to enrich my life. Shame on me for trying to keep myself out of debt when your family has it worse. What? And so that kind of thing. And then, you know, it becomes more, more powerful and valuable because I could take a look at that and say, well, being shamed is hurting me in a couple of ways. I'm feeling bad about myself and I'm not treating myself right when it comes to my finances. So I get myself together when it comes to my finances, did that, I feel good about that. But when I have space and when I have time and energy, when I have the funds, I will send money back. I will buy something. I will take care of my family, but it feels much more enriching and much more uh, genuine when I'm able to just feel like, yeah, this is exactly what I want to do because it's my voice that's telling me I want to do this thing. Which is also way more powerful. I think this is starting to cross over into a conversation around authority. And I love that word authority because the root word comes from the root word author. And I think of authorship, you know, who's authoring your story, who are you giving the pen to? to tell you how your life is. And for most of us, we give authority. We don't give authority. Our parents or whoever raises us has authority over our lives. They tell us what to believe in. They tell us when we should go to school in the context of nurturing and helping to raise us. But one thing I've noticed, especially working with so many men, is that we never claim the pen back from our parents, our guardians, our grandparents, our aunties, our uncles, whoever we gave authority to as we were growing up. We never take that back. And then unknowingly and unconsciously, we start or continue living our lives 
with somebody else having authority and say, even if it's just a voice in the back of your head, even if it's a loved one who passed away a long time ago and their voice or their influence is still embedded in your head and you may not recognize that they're actually the one driving the bus for you. And ultimately, it's a powerless position because you're making decisions based off of somebody else's perspective or somebody else's thoughts on how you should live your life. And it's not until you say, hey, I decide what I believe and what I want. I'll decide when I send money home to my family based on my terms. And most people don't make that transition. Yeah, because it's a really tough transition and we're not given the tools to actually deal with it. And especially as men with the emotion around it, I keep going back to the emotion of shame because it's really important to recognize that it is an emotion. You have to to see what it is before you can even stop someone else from writing your story. So we don't have the tools to it. I know that I didn't have the tools until I, I went to counseling some years ago. But for me, in order to help someone to help me write my own story, I started just drinking because I thought, well, I don't know, the pages are blurry and it's all scribbly. And I can't read it, but at least it's what I wrote and it's not somebody else's story. But that didn't help me at all. It didn't help me at all. But I think people use the coping mechanisms like just like I did. Like, well, I don't want you to write my story, but I don't know how to get it to stop. This is what feels good. This is what it seems like I'm in control. So I'm just going to do this. And it can be anything, any kind of escapism. Played a lot of video games, watched it on TV, just kind of wasted away, just trying to be in control of my own life. Mm. Yeah. Well, I love that you're saying that because it really... This idea of shame is, is really so interesting. We keep coming back to how it influences us and, and how we, if we never make that transition, I've, I've worked with a lot of guys who are stuck in that place and don't know how to make a transition out of that space. And they don't even recognize that you ask them a couple of simple questions, right? Well, what do you stand for? All right. You know, cause a lot of guys are like, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know where I'm heading. And it's like, okay, well, let's take a step back. What do you value? What do you care about? What matters most to you in this world? What are you willing to fight for? And when you ask guys that question, they're like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure. And, and they, or they start to answer it. And it's, and I'm like, whose voice is that? Who told you that that's what matters? Is that your choice or is that someone else's? And you start to see these like fireworks and light bulbs go off. Like, oh my God, my dad is running my life and he's been dead for 10 years. Yeah, it's definitely like that. I mean, I could, I definitely relate to that entire process or that entire thing. Somebody would ask me, I remember the hardest thing that the hardest question to answer was, what do you like to do for fun? People would ask me that and I was like, I, I watch TV. I don't know what else do you have, what else is there to do? I had no hobbies, had no sense of self. It was just, well, I watch TV. The values are just so hard to instill. Like if they're not someone else's values, they're not my parents, I got rid of those. So what do I do? So I think the first step to really figuring out what your values are, what works for me at least, is to just try a bunch of things. Like I did a lot of things to raise my confidence. So I decided that I would take on projects. And if I liked it, then I would continue going. If I didn't, then I would stop. And then I would keep going. And I would find something that I liked. And I would, I would start diving into that. And I found out that so at the time, I was working in a warehouse, unloading trucks and boxes on the warehouse floor. And there was a position that was open. And I was able to grab this position, a logistics position. And they required a lot of uh, analytical pieces of working with Excel and so forth. And I got that position. I was like, oh, this is amazing. I love this. And I started taking some work home with me just so I can practice and do some more things with it. 
And I started coding with the Visual Basic behind it. And then I continued on with that. I had a job working, working using that as an analyst. So I just found much more confidence in the thing that, that I could do. So I really liked analytics. I found that out by trying different things, feeling affirmed by the fact that I can solve this. I can do this. I know this. And it gave me confidence to try other things. And so that's what really helped me write my own story, find my own values, because then I had the confidence to learn something else. So, all right, I got analytics. What else can I do? What else is fun? What else is interesting? Getting all curious about life. So find what my values are. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that idea of being explorative. I always say that I think one thing that everybody should do at some point is go out and travel. doesn't have to be the backpacking Europe or, you know, going all over the world, but just traveling to a place by yourself that nobody knows you. Obviously, safely. I don't think you need to go and thrust yourself into a dangerous situation, but traveling somewhere where nobody knows you and you don't know anybody else and everything is unfamiliar because that type of unknown reveals so much character. And I hear a lot of the same thing in what you're saying, right? Like being thrust into a position and starting to learn more about yourself. You learn more about yourself when you're in these unknowns. And for men, one of the things that we struggle with the most, because I believe because of the way we were parented for the past couple of generations, is we're not prepared to handle adversity. When we get out into the world, when it's time for us to go and whether it's graduating high school, graduating college, whatever that milestone is for you, and all of a sudden you're on your own, expected to take full responsibility and accountability for yourself, don't know how to do it. We just don't know how to do it. We're not ready for it. Yeah, absolutely. It's just like, we're not sure because everyone has, we've been parented to do as we were told. And so if this doesn't fit into our world, it's a whole new place, then it's really difficult to even have the tools to overcome it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I want to circle back to something because I just remembered I had an idea. It's a little bit in the vein of shame, but I, see, I, I like to look at things with nature as a reference point. I think we as humans forget that we're still part of nature, even though we have these big brains and we can do these amazing things that no other animals can. We're still animals. There's still an animal component to us. And the thing I've been saying lately is that one of the challenging things for men, humans in general, but it's particularly men here, is that we have ancient DNA. Our DNA has not changed much from hundreds of thousands of years ago. And you can go and you can look at the anthropological evidence about this. It takes hundreds of thousands of years for tiny changes in evolution to happen, subtle changes in evolution to occur. So we're actually more like our ancestors who were hunters and gatherers, hunting down woolly mammoths and doing all kinds of crazy stuff we couldn't even believe right now than we think we're distant, you know? And so the problem is, is that we're trying to take that ancient DNA and apply it to a modern world, a modern context of living that our brains and the DNA that moves through us can't quite figure out. It can't understand how going to the grocery store is the new version of hunting. And so much of what our DNA that was refined and perfected over millennia it was for was for men to be providers and protectors to be hunters, to be, obviously this is, again, another broad stroke, but generally speaking, men are bigger, stronger, faster, more physically adept than 
females, right? And so when we live in a world where, okay, well, you don't really need us to protect you because you could just go get a gun and that's way more effective than any dude, <laughs> right? <laughs> Even Bruce Lee used to say, now that guns are around, none of my martial arts are going to do anything in a gunfight. <laughs> so you don't really need us to protect you. Providers, I mean, in this age, you know, women are still, obviously, we know there's still pay inequalities, but there's plenty of women who do just fine for themselves on a career basis. So providers, protectors, I mean, at this point with artificial insemination, you don't even, you barely need a man. I guess you still need a man to have a baby, right? When you really break it down, but it's not the traditional way. So all of these feelings of unworthiness that we have as men or shame that makes us feel like we don't belong or we're not useful, we're not valuable because at the heart of all of it, we just want to be of service. I have a feeling that it's related to that, that we're not able to fill these traditional roles in the way that our DNA is compelling us to. And I think that's the source of a lot of pain for a lot of guys out there. Yeah, yeah that's very interesting, insightful point. I really like what you what you brought to the table with that. Yeah, I think that shame plays a big role in that too, just trying to be a person who can provide in some way. You mentioned all the ways that, well, society has changed and has kind of made our roles obsolete. So then where shame comes in is that we're in this relationship and we're feeling a relationship with our parents or our family members or in a romantic relationship, any relationship trying to be of service and showing some value is if we see none, then we create it. We try and create it. So that's where you have people, as we have relationships where it can become abusive. Like, well, I want to make sure that you know that you are nothing to me and I can build you up so I can provide some kind of value because I just have so much shame about how I just don't know what to do to be of service to you. I don't know what to do. So I've seen that happen. Actually, it's happened quite a bit in my relationships. I've had relationships just like that because I didn't know my purpose and my values were. So I just thought that all I have is this relationship. All I have is this relationship and I have to make it work. I have to be something of value. So I would date people who made less money than I did because I wanted to have some kind of value. And yeah, so I have some, some kind of control, some kind of... And another thing I would do with it is like, well, I don't want to be mean. So I feel more shame about that. But I also want to make sure that you know that I'm valuable. So I would do this weird thing where I would create the mess and then say, I'm the one to clean it up just because I had so much shame in who I was and what I couldn't bring to the table, what I thought I couldn't bring to the table. Uh huh. That's good, man. That makes me think of something I think would be really useful for a lot of guys out there to hear is if you are in, a, in this place, if anything that we've talked about so far has resonated with you, whether you've been there before or you're currently in this place, you need to recognize and identify what values you're willing to fight for and what value you bring to the world. What do you care about? What matters to you? What do you want to see in the world around you? And what part of that vision for a different reality can you bring? What is the skill set? What is the ability that you have that's unique to you that you bring to the table? And I think that's the actionable step for guys. Obviously, we, we've kind of deconstructed some of these very elusive feeling and emotional space that a lot of guys feel. But I think it's important for us to wrap up talking about, well, what can guys actually do to begin recognizing the value that they have instead of putting so much focus and attention on what we're not? Because I think that's where a lot of guys get stuck. Absolutely. Yeah. We don't want to get stuck in the negative space of what we aren't because that leaves so much of what we aren't. 
it's better to define who we are and what we want and how we want to have our lives. And I know it was really difficult for me, myself, to, to figure out what that was. But like you said, curiosity, exploring, I don't know what I want my life to look like, but I'm going to go see what other people's life looks like. I'm going to go see, I'm going to go experience something else. And maybe I'll like what I see. I'll discover something different because my life now is completely different than my life as a child. Something I just couldn't have dreamed of. But when I explored, I found new things, I leaned into the curiosity, then you can take that actionable step and you can make sure that you define who you are. You can decide this is what I want to be and then Mm. continue and build that for yourself. Yeah, I think there's also this social expectation that we should know. One of the things that drives me nuts is that we, I think it's changed a little bit even since I was in college and probably since you, I mean, I'm 33, you're 37. So since we were in college, I remember it, they used to expect you to choose a major and stick with it when you entered college. That This whole, you know, taking five, six years to find your major, double major, create your own major, that didn't really exist when I was in school. And I remember, dude, when I was a senior in high school, I still didn't even really understand what college was. All I knew is that was the next thing and that's what everybody said I should do. So I just think about all these expectations that we have built up around us. Again, going back to the programming of what people instill in us as what we should be doing. I'm much more interested in helping people to decide what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Choosing your path. I think it's important for us to let people decide for themselves. And I'm talking about young people and people who are in that place of, If you find yourself doing something that you think is going to make someone else happy, it's never going to work because you can't make anyone else happy. Nothing you do can make someone else happy. And if it's about your parents being, quote unquote, happy or pleased or proud of you, they'll be proud of you because you navigated your way in the world. If you find your way in the world because of something they told you to do, they probably just feel good about it because then it gives them an ego boost. Like, ah, I knew I was a good choice sending him to college. Yes, all of that. I was just shaking my head yes to all of that because it's so relatable to me. I actually took six years and I changed my major three times. You know, it's like, we'll stay. Okay, you were a pioneer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was a generation right before you. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then at the end of the day, my degree is in international relations and I'm an analyst. I work with computers. Nothing to do with it. So it's just that exploration. And if we could do that a lot younger, we can understand what we can and can't do. We can understand where we can uh, decide what our own values are much younger Then it's much easier to come up through and decide, okay, then I want to experiment with this, but it's okay if I change my mind and it's okay if I learn a little more about this and a little less about that. Just taking all the shame out of that. Yeah. And I think it's an important stage of development that often gets skipped. It's kind of like skipping past some of the exercises in the textbook to move on to the next chapter with, you know, because I I don't want to open up too many rabbit holes here, but when I think about sexuality and especially men who are, who don't feel fully expressed in their sexuality because they never really got to explore that. And they, they don't know. This was my story too. I, I didn't even know how to ask for what I wanted sexually until much later on. It, it wasn't really until my late twenties, early thirties in my relationship with my wife, because I thought that that was bad. I somewhere picked up the belief that my job when it comes to sex is to please my partner. (laughs) It has nothing to do with what I want. And obviously, like I said, that's one rabbit hole, but all these different areas where we're still operating off of a narrative of what we think we should be doing, instead of just giving ourselves the permission to decide or explore even, what do I like? 
what do I want? And that even that is not a selfish act. It's taking care of yourself so that you can be more present and available for other people. Absolutely. Yeah. So you're not wondering if this is right, if this is okay, should I feel okay with this and just be in the moment and present? Oh, I like this. This is what I want. This is what I want to do. And yeah, I see it all the time on Reddit. I just hop on Reddit and I, I look at some of the relationship things and there was a guy who was talking about how he wanted to text the woman back, but he was not sure if he should. And he was not sure if he was ghosting him or he was going to be needy. It's been 48 hours. What should I do? Well, what do you want to do? And there's a lot of people who said, hey, you shouldn't because it's so needy. You shouldn't. And I'm just thinking, no, you really are uncomfortable with this. So why don't you make that note? There's no shame in it. People were just trying to shame them, telling them, hey, don't do what you feel is right. The guy ended up dying. He ended up texting and he got his answer, but it wasn't what he wanted, but he still got his answer. You know, he's still comfortable with it. Yeah. Well, I think that's what it comes back to at the end of the day. Maybe this is like where we start wrapping it up, putting the icing on the cake here, because what I'm hearing and what you're saying is the importance of figuring out how to be. And when we say authentic, that's a word that gets thrown around a lot. How to find that voice of truth that's always being muffled by the voice of your parents, the voice of your teachers, the voice of society, and really tuning into it and letting that be the voice that speaks on your behalf. And trusting your gut, trusting, you know, like he said, he wanted to text back in 48 hours, but some, what, some unwritten rule of that's, you can't text someone until 72 hours you shouldn't do. I mean, come on. You know, I think that's what I'm really hearing here is that that's that's where the power lies is even if you don't get the outcome you want. Absolutely. Absolutely. Having the confidence to make your own decision, feeling grounded in your own truth, and then having that resilience to deal with the bad decision or the bad response that you might get. So just doing those kind of things and certainly your values, if you know those, you will have no problem in making any kind of decision if you're grounded in those. Heck yeah, man. Beautiful. Well, Lee, I'll be the first one to admit that I had no idea that this is what we were going to arrive to today, but I love what we talked about because I think there's a lot of really great stuff in there. Why don't we do this? I've never done this before. Let's each take two to three sentences just to give a synopsis of the biggest takeaways or the wrap up point that we would want to share with the guys who are listening from everything we talked about today. Do you want to go first or second? You know, I'll go first. I would say that in this experience, I found that there's a lot of things to unpack from the childhood and a lot of shame that you might know out there. So paying attention or taking a look. It's worth taking a look back at your, your childhood and thinking about it and comparing it to what you're doing today. Mm. Yeah, man. My biggest takeaway that I want to reinforce for the guys out there is just checking in with which voices are yours and which voices are not and figuring out which one is yours and letting that be the voice that speaks for you instead of someone else's and giving yourself permission to own it. Because I think the reality, man, is that we're not going to make everybody happy. Ain't everybody out there going to like us for what we say or how we think or what we do. So give it up. <laughs> and I'm kind of saying that to myself. I feel like I'm talking to my, you know, self from a couple of years ago who still was so worried about that. Like, yeah, that guy from maybe five years ago. Yeah, oh, poor guy. Yeah, maybe five minutes ago. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Lee, this is great, man. I still want to fire off some lightning round questions at you if you're ready, and then you can tell us where to follow you and find you. Sound good? All right. Sounds good. All right, man. So what is one thing you've learned in your life you wish you knew when you were 18? About sex. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, uh, anything specific? Well, I guess I would say how to like have intimacy, how to engage. Like 
I guess it, it's so, I'm supposed to enjoy it. I'm having so much shame around it right now. I'm just talking about it. <laughs> but yeah, definitely just about how to ask what I want, ask for what I want. Mm, nice. Heck yeah. What do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Self-control. Mm, okay. And what does the world need most from men right now? That's tough one i would say protection beautiful all right man and you know last but not least where would you like everybody to go follow you find you learn more about what you're up to oh yeah definitely so yeah you can find me at patternsofpossibility.com and i'm on all the social medias patterns of possibility youtube uh, instagram most active on instagram and also i have a seminar coming up or a free training or a free seminar coming up in January. It's going to be Tuesday, January 19th. You can sign up for that. It is called Three Social Myths. So it's all about making connections. So there are some things that keep us from making genuine connections. There are three things that we believe, kind of like what we're talking about here, like the shame. And they are definitely rooted in shame. So just knocking out those so that you can make a genuine connection with anyone. Awesome, man. I love it. Beautiful, bro. Well, dude, thanks for tuning in from all the way out in Chile. Is it chilly out there in Chicago already? <laughs> yeah, it's a little chill. It's always chill and shy. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful, man. Well, thank you for coming in here, for having an awesome conversation. And yeah, man, appreciate what you're doing in the world. Thanks for everything. Yeah, thanks. You too. I- I'm really glad to be here. It was really great to share a conversation with you. So insightful, man. So insightful. Yeah. Likewise, bro. Well, until next time, man. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that. Make sure you cruise over to risingman.org to check out all the offerings and opportunities we have there for you to get more involved in the community and to get more of that edge you need to become the man you've always wanted to be in your life today. We also got the links for show notes and all the resources we mentioned in this episode there. So go check it out. Subscribe wherever you're listening to the podcast so you get notifications every time we drop a new episode. And make sure you check us out on Instagram at Rising Man Movement, as well as our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the Rising Man Movement. Any of you guys who are interested in rising fathers, a lot of information for that community is going to be over at our YouTube channel. So go check that out today. Shout out to my power team, Rowan, Sean, Julian, Ryan, Mark, and Kyle. I love you, fellas. Thank you so much for everything you do. I'm looking forward to our cross-country trip that we got coming up in a couple of weeks here, but you guys don't need to know about that yet. You'll hear more about that in the future. Stay tuned. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.